0: Vernomatic Productions.
1: Hey, freaks, it's Jason McMaster. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC with John, the Vernomatic, Verno, and Metal Walt.
2: Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold.
0: Good evening, everybody. Happy New Year's to all. As always, Thursday nights, new content drops. Tonight's episode, Metal Walt and I are bringing you part two of our Jason McMaster interview. In this episode, we go down heavy metal memory lane. Jason tells us about some of his bands, his experiences with uh, other bands, and just general metal talk. It's a fun one. First, though, let's uh, remind you to get up to that Metal Mayhem ROC website. There you'll find uh, show blogs, CD reviews. Mark Zagatti joined the team. He's doing a weekly CD review. Check out some past episodes. Uh, let's see. A couple of weeks ago, we had Tim Ripper Owens talking about his new solo CD. We had the Jersey Metal Guys. They have a brand new book out called The History of the Garden States. Heavy metal scene. That one's awesome. So get up to the website, join our community, sign up for the newsletter and uh, get involved. So, Beto Walt, how are you, man? Happy New Year. Hey, John. Happy New
3: Year. I am doing well. So uh, the other part of the McMaster conversation after the Armored Saint and Accept stuff was it was just, man, he opened up his camera and he's sitting in front of this desk with dusty cassettes and CDs stacked up and posters and guitar picks And he was just chilling on a Sunday morning. And boy, did we learn a lot about what he's done for the last 40 years. Stuff I had no idea about and all really, really cool and interesting facts.
0: Oh, awesome facts. Talks about touring with Lemmy and looking at Lemmy and fucking Speedos and uh, fucking, uh, you know, there's a story about um, he could have possibly changed the trajectory of Pantera to, you know, filling in and part of Dirty Looks to this day. So it's a fantastic interview. It's uh, like we say, it's a cool as hell walk down uh, heavy metal memory lane. For Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC.
3: So, Jason, uh, really a pleasure to be able to speak to you. Um, I mean, you know, John and I have done our homework on you. You got a massive history. I mean, if you were to print out a heavy metal resume, I mean, you paid on a million bands, side projects, one-off things, special guesting, uh, tribute albums. You know, you're a minister, which we want to talk to you about. You got a podcast. So lots and lots of stuff to talk about today. So general question before we get into some of your projects you know, you're a Texas native. I think you still live live there. How'd you get into metal? You know, was it played around the house? What's your origins of Texas and hard rock and metal?
1: Um the you know, the the uh I have three brothers, two older, one younger, and they had uh record collections uh that, you know, hey, what you got over there? kind of a thing, you know. Well, what are you listening to? You know and my younger brother, Randy would bring home stuff and say, you got to hear this, you know, uh, for the most part, the babysitter turned me on to Elton John when I was very young, probably God could have been five years old, six years old. For some reason, Elton John like blew my mind, uh, at that age. And, uh, I just started collecting Elton John records because I didn't really know anything past that other than the little 45s I had of whatever Sesame Street and maybe top 40, uh, 45s that I got, you know, for birthdays and things like that. When I, I'll fast forward. When I heard kiss from the neighborhood kids, uh, I realized they were having all the fun and everything. And, you know, Elton John and Queen and and David Bowie and Alice Cooper and things like that were already in my collection. So KISS was after all that. Now when you kind of put together uh, KISS as a gateway to metal kind of a thing, before any of it was called heavy metal at all, that came later, I think, like late 70s, early 80s, I feel like I already kind of knew what was what that meant, because uh, Queen in the 70s were doing Drop D. When I found Black Sabbath, I realized there's a correlation between Queen and, you know, why is this song heavier than this one? And you hear Black Sabbath and you start connecting dots like that. And um, the innovators, right? the people who created shock rock and you know is it's queen and elton john and the sweet and david bowie and alice cooper and kiss and and uh they you know those guys were having a lot of fun and they were creating these uh larger than life persona which uh lent somehow made the music interesting in a different way because you could kind of wow that guy's weird in the head and it's making the music pop better or something anyway so I relate all this to the heavier the song the music you know I got into Rush and Ted Nugent and UFO and Thin Lizzy and all that and saw a bunch of those bands play in the late 70s and I had my first band as a bass player when I was about 14 or 15 I moved to Austin Texas from I'm from Gulf of Mexico uh, Corpus Christi Texas and I moved to Austin uh, Texas uh, when I was about 16 or 17 and just continued my bass playing and and started singing a little bit. I think I started singing when I was like 17 and then I joined Watchtower uh, in May of 1982 as just a front man which I'd never done that before so I cut my teeth as a front man in Watchtower but I'm getting ahead of you guys. The, 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 the thing that really was the gateway was probably kiss as to where I was going with, with uh, heavy metal thunder as it, as it were, you know, the things that I loved about music seemed to be shock, you know, and volume and, uh, speed, uh, and agility. And, uh, it was, it was, I was always finding something new about it. Uh, but you know, I, Shit, I still love (laughs) ACDC.
0: Of course. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like
1: (laughs) as basic as as big, dumb, you know, three-minute songs with one bass note all the way through, I'm down with that just as much as I am, you know, the fastest, craziest Rush song or Dream Theater or Watchtower or, or whatever. But I also love Venom and Merciful Fate just as much as I did in 1981,
0: 82. We all grew up on the same stuff. What was your first concert, and did you ever have a chance to see any of those Texas jam stadium shows at early Van Halen, Sabbath, all that?
1: No, my uh, my younger brother saw, uh, I think he either saw the Van Halen Black Sabbath, um, Never Say Die Tour, La- Ozzy's last tour, I think he saw that. And those Texas jam things were happening when I wasn't driving yet.
0: Yeah, those were in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. That was, yeah. That's like
1: yeah. that was like four or five hours away from my 16 year old ass. <laughs> so too too much seventeen seventeen. You know there were there were. I'm not making excuses, but no, I didn't see any of those. My first concert was in 1977 in Corpus Christi. That year, I saw uh, my first concert was UFO supporting Rush. Mm. Mind blowing. I think I cried. I was just like, what is happening to myself? My young impressionable (laughs) mind is warped forever now. This is how are they creating this sorcery? And I was probably 13 because that's 12 or 13, 77, yeah.
0: Farewell to King's tour?
1: Yes. Uh, UFO obsession? Yeah. Probably like $4 too unbelievable yeah unbelievable max webster might have opened the show but i i got there late I, apparently cuz i don't remember max webster oddly enough i ended up you know covering songs by pretty much everyone i ever saw when i was a child so but i saw angel open for ted nugent the same year i saw uh, i saw ax i saw i saw i saw nugent when he was good you know, a couple times in the seventies, and then in the 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 shows in the eighties were all about you know Scorpions and Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, yep. and and all of the opening bands were like Dio and Fastway and Girl School and Y&T and, and um yeah Riot and Quiet Riot and White Snake and yeah. I know I was there,
0: man. Yeah, I, this is I'm like uh, two years younger than you, but maybe two or three years older than Walt. So between mm-hmm. us, he's jealous of some of the shows I've seen because of age. And here I am turning around and jealous because you had a chance to see Farewell the Kings when I didn't. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other discussion. But um, um I have a history in radio. And I got into this before and so we also uh, have a live radio show on Metal Devastation radio. and we also have dipped our toe in club level promoting. So back in October, we did the, we uh, promoted the Raven Stop up here in Rochester. And that's how we got the connection with, uh, with you and Alan Ticcio. So well, tell Jason the whole story behind that it's
3: so Jason. it's 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 an amazing it's a such a small community. but we start up there, right? So I live in Jersey. Verno's putting on the show in Rochester, but the Raven Riot Act show is coming down to Jersey at Dingbats a few weeks later. We go ahead and we interview Rick Ventura prior to the tour. I say, Rick, it's a shame. I can't meet you. There's no show. My phone beeps later. Oh, there's a show at Dingbats. It was added at the end. Great. I go down there. I'm sitting in the lobby. I'm shooting the shit with Rick. Rick turns around. Who's this guy that walks in but Alan Tecchio? And then, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm Lance and this and that and the other. Hey, great, man. Hey, I got this book out. Oh, yeah, I heard about it. Next thing you know, he's introducing me to Frank White. Hey, you want to get on our show? So fast forward, then, uh, you know, Alan and I are keeping in touch. And uh, we interviewed him about a week and a half ago for, uh, for his book, Him and Frank. It was an uh, amazing interview. We're going to have that one up on our forum soon. You know, Alan lives 15 minutes from me in Jersey, and he says, Lance, if I can help you out with anything, let me know. And I said, listen, open up your heavy metal Rolodex. Give me some names we can get out there. And and the first thing he did, I got a text back. Boom. Jason McMaster, how do you want me to introduce him? And I think within five minutes, you and I were texting. So that's that amazing interwoven weave of the whole Jersey thing. And the Hades connection, and I know uh, I was going to talk to you about this later if we have time about the Cassius King thing, which mm-hmm. I think links back to the Hades, but just mm-hmm. figured I'd drop that. So jumping into your history, I want to talk about Watchtower, because what I learned in reading my facts was that you, you know, you performed on uh, the initial album, right? It was called uh, Energetic Disassembly. That's and then And then later on... Alan Tecchio was the guy that took over for you. So I think there's that connection. Hey, how do Jason and Alan know each other kind of thing? But on Watchtower, I was listening to the album last night. And it's, uh, as you label on your website, technical thrash, whatever you want to call it. But it definitely was, for the time it was, was something unique for its time. And what stands out for me is, A, you're singing. You're really, really high range, cool music. But the bass playing was, man, it was like, who is that? Is that Chris Squire? Is that Getty Lee? (laughs) <laughs> really, really a, a combination of stuff, yet it had that sort of new wave of British heavy metal sound. So, and I told Verno, he's going to make a promise to you on his Monday night show, his radio show this week, I want him to play a double shot of Watchtower, and I want the songs Asylum and T- uh, Tyrants of Distress played. So, mm-hmm. Those talk about talk about Watchtower quickly.
1: Um, Earlier, when you got initial, like, a little bit ago, you guys were saying, how'd you get into this? You know, what was your age and blah, my, my, you know, origins. <clears throat> and I mentioned moving to Austin, Texas would have been about 1980, I guess, 81 maybe. And, uh, by May of 82, and I, and I did have a little band and it was, we played covers and I was a teenager, you know, whatever. we were just playing, we played Rush, we played ACDC, we played Hendrix, we played Crocus, you know, we, we we got obscure for how early that was. This is, you know, that would have been pre-Headhunter, you know, because uh, that's when I think Crocus kind of, you know, pre-MTV kind of, kind of a thing. Um, and it was fun. It was called Fallen Angel, you know, generic million bands called Fallen Angel. Anyway, I was a yeah. bass player who had recently started singing that funny story is kind of like your friends at school are like, Hey, I'm a singer. Oh, cool. Come by and sing. We don't have a singer. Come by. You know, they come in and they sing and we're, we're playing and listening to them sing and me and the drummer looking at each other behind their back going, thought they said they were a singer. You and me are not singers and we're better than this singer not, you know, that's, you kind of are, it's your baby, right? It's what you do to kill time and get your jollies out to play, you know, rock star in your mind when you're a teenager without really any aspirations of being a rock star or being, you know, this larger than life thing. You're just like, can't believe that, Hey, we started a song and finished it together sort of, and it was fun. You know, that's kind of where we were. Well, I, I, me and the drummer ended up singing for this, short lived project. Uh, the guitar players in that project, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't serious. They, you know, ran off to do other things or chase girls or whatever. And, and we were looking kind of for just a guitar player to keep the thing going for fun. And I found, uh, in a music store, I found this hand, hand drawn card that said watchtower. And of course it had a uh, a, a castle with a dragon and fire and, you know, it was hand drawn and it said uh available for parties, you know, kind of a thing, obviously high school kids, it's heavy metal, blah, blah, blah. And it had actual phone numbers of the band members on the fucking thing pre email, right? This is yeah.
0: 1981,
1: 82, right? So I either stole the card or I took the, no, I can't remember. I think I took the, I think I took it. Yeah, I don't, I wish I still had it. Uh, and I had heard of these guys. I had not heard them, but I had heard of them, especially guitar player, Billy White. Uh, Billy White, <clears throat> uh, I could talk an hour about him. Uh, I call his house. He's the first number on there. I call the house. Hey, can I talk to Billy? And it's like, who's this? Well, he doesn't know me. My name's Jason. I got his number off the wall, blah, 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 blah. So Billy gets on the phone and I say, you don't know me. I just saw your number. I'm not trying to headhunt anybody. I'm just, I don't know anybody. I've only been in Austin like nine months, you know. Uh, I had this band Fallen Angel. We're just looking for a guitar player. Do you know anybody who's just kind of can come jam with us? And he's like, I've heard of you. Me, he's talking about me. And he's like, he goes, I heard you're pretty good. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm fucking terrible. (laughs) not, you know, to mince anything, but he, he says, uh, Hey, we should hang out. You should come over sometime. And so the next day I take my bass and a little practice amp and I go and I hang out with Billy white and this is awesome. Ding dong. Dad answers the door and I'm like, I'm, hi, I'm Jason. I'm looking for Billy and dad moves out of the way. And there's this kid there with hair down to his ass, all one length. And I'm just like, you know, and it's, it's 1982 and I'm going, Oh Yeah this is going to we're Kindred. Yeah. We go in his room. There's Iron Baden rush posters, UFO all over. And uh, I'm like, Whoa. And I'm like, you know, his room looked like my room or your room or their room or yeah. her room or everyone's, you know, it was awesome. And, uh, and I'm just looking around going, Whoa, I, I have that one. I have that one. And then all of a sudden I hear this, I just hear shredding. And I'm like, and I turn around, and I put my bass back in the case. <laughs> I yeah. threw it in the fireplace. That rhymes. So anyway, um, the rest is kind of history. Like a week later, they asked me to be the singer. They literally exited their singer they currently had, and we started playing shows. And they were playing some of their original material, and I was like, what the f- fuck is that cuz it wasn't you know crocus <laughs>
0: <laughs> That was your first exposure to shredding uh, well that was well it,
1: it was my first exposure to uh 80 yeah to, to uh um you know uh, uh some kids in front of me my age playing intricate time signatures yeah. uh tighter than anyone else I had ever been in a room with trying to play 2112. <laughs> but yeah. but they wrote the fucking material, right? So I'm just like, you know, freaking out. What the fuck is this? So, you know, and they had a list of cover songs. It literally invited me over basically to watch. Here, here's, here's more of a, this is kind of a cool thing here is before they had called me and said, Hey, we want you to be the singer. I had gone, I was invited to a rehearsal. I met all the guys and Hey, cool. And their singer's not there yet. And ultimately their singer did not show up for the rehearsal. Uh, Oh, I'm standing there. There's a microphone, there's a list of cover songs and I know fucking half of them, right? You know, victim of changes and the ripper and number of the beast and well, no number of the beast wasn't out yet. I don't think, but some iron maiden stuff, uh, and, uh, Saxon and UFO. Right. And they're like, uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to show up. You know, an hour later, I don't think he's going to show up. You want to sing some shit? And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, hell yeah. This Let me jam with these guys, you know. So the first song I ever sang with Watchtower was Motorcycle Man by Saxon. <laughs> I still love that fucking song.
0: Oh, played yeah. it the other night.
1: <laughs> That's so good. Anyway, uh, so I end up in the band and really cutting my teeth as a, as a singer and – uh you know, we recorded that first album multiple times because, you know, oh man, we got new equipment. We need to re-record that. The tones are weird and I'm like, okay, cool. And the songs changed and we dropped some material and combined, you know, it was just a growth period by, by 85, we were done with, with energetic disassembly and it came out and, and it's kind of historical now, 86, 87, uh, gaining huge popularity the whole tape trading thing it was a or was real and the fanzines and the whole the bay area scene and the whole the jersey scene and the texas scene and just worldwide germany and the whole just you you know the network pre-digital age phone calls and licking stamps that that was it so i get letters from you know I love your record kind of thing from Mike Portnoy, uh, Alan Tecchio, Jason Newstead, Flotsam, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people like that. I find out Chuck Schuldiner from death is a huge fucking fan and all just this whole network of like, whoa, and I'm writing all these people back. And me and Alan hit it off and we stayed in touch. <clears throat> he, uh, when I got the offer for the Dangerous Toys thing, Alan was the first guy I thought of. I was like, you you need to come to Texas and at least jam with these guys. You know, learn a few songs and come down here. And he couldn't because Hades was going to Europe and doing some festivals and da 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 This would have been 88. Yeah, 88. Early 88. Spring 88. Summer 88. And, um... Yeah, Billy White wasn't in the band anymore. Billy White left in eighty late 86 and ended up on a Dockin' record up from the ashes. Uh, the weird, cool little story there is in 86, uh, summer of 86, Watchtower opened for King Diamond uh, Fatal Portrait tour and Mickey D was in King Diamond. And whether they met or connected or Change numbers, exchange numbers, I don't know, but here we are a year and a half later or something, and Billy's in L.A. secretly writing songs with Dokken, and Mickey D's the drummer in Dokken. Kind of weird, cool. Here's that whole spider web, right? Oh, yeah pretty weird so anyway uh yeah the watchtower material technical thrash metal the fanzines who were doing reviews they didn't know where to put it they didn't know how to describe it uh it's definitely over the top uh sort of technical uh but fast and uh, you know it's like rush on speed or frank zappa meets metallica or uh these are all things that have been coined in old fanzines uh But my favorite is, whether I don't know if I made it up or it's something I've been saying forever, is all of the instruments falling down the stairs rapidly in time.
0: That's That's perfect. It is perfect. And
1: and I have to sing over that.
0: (laughs) You mentioned Mike Portnoy, and you mentioned Rush. Tell us uh, quickly about that project you guys did.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, that was in 2005. Uh, Cygnus and the Sea Monsters, live at the Vic Theater, Chicago. Uh, one rehearsal, uh, yeah, he needed someone who could do Getty, and I just did my best Getty because, you know, he was a Watchtower fan and and uh, knew that that was a big player in the influence of, uh, of that style of singing. And that was amazing because, uh, you know, I got to work with some bad motherfuckers.
0: What Paul Gil- what, Paul
1: Gilbert and, uh, yeah. What
0: well, which rush did you do? What was the time? Oh, oh
1: it's on, yeah. It's on YouTube. Uh, they did YYZ. Uh, we did side one of 2112. I, uh, we also did, uh, Cygnus X1, Book 1, I think, and um, we did Hemispheres, the whole song, Hemispheres.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it was, in, it was pretty incredible, man.
0: You have a chance it's to incredible. see that Primus project that was touring this? When, when was that, Well, last summer? It was, uh, yeah, it
3: was last year, 2021. I saw it a couple times up by me. It was awesome.
1: I, I did not see it but I heard all about it and I watched some of it on YouTube and some of my I'm a music teacher and some of my students went and saw it at the at the Aztec Theater in San Antonio and they loved it. They came back wearing t-shirts the next day. Uh well I could talk about Rush for an hour. <laughs> well they so. and
3: they are they are I mean I always think about like they had such a big following. Rush and Dallas was one of the places they filmed their one of their DVDs. I know they had a big, big following down there. So, And talking about Texas, I was thinking, as you were telling us, Jason, we had Nigel Glockner on uh, maybe, uh, what, Vern? End of the summer? To talk about his uh, his side project. A six by six. Yeah, and he lives down in Dallas as well. So yeah. he's down there too. So yeah.
1: He lived near us for, for a little while. He was in Austin. He was uh, out on Lake Travis for a few years. His wife is from San Antonio, so. Hey, Jason,
3: uh, I, I want to be mindful of your time, but I'd like to quickly make sure we cover off on the big point of your career, you know, uh, the Dangerous Toys. You know, you guys put out four albums. You were on Columbia Records. You had Max Norman, Roy Thomas Baker producing. You know, you had MTV hits. Uh, you know, this was like that sweet spot. Uh, you were out there, and and both Verna and I were talking before we got on air we were on the. Uh, we both saw the Operation Rock and Roll tour. I saw it down in nice. the Meadowlands in East uh, yeah. East, East uh, Rutherford. Yeah, um, talk about that tour. I mean, that was like a massive package: Priest, Cooper, Motorhead, Metal Church, Dangerous Toys. It was the weird time the Gulf War was going on, right?
1: Yeah. Um, talk about uh living the dream, touring with your idols. I mean, Alice Cooper and Judas Priest alone, but, oh, Motorhead and Metal Church are going to be there too? (laughs) It's like, what the fuck is Dangerous Toys doing on this thing, you know? Um, I love it that uh, they called it Operation Rock and Roll and they didn't call it some kind of metal monster, you know, thing um, because... You know, Motorhead is a rock and roll band, and Metal Church is a metal band, and um, and Alice Cooper is shock rock, rock and roll, bluesy, shock rock, yeah, and then Priest is a metal band, but they have so much more than that, too. So, it was basically a, what people don't like, really, I don't think, they like to hear the truth, uh, is it was kind of a ditch effort for the record label to sort of clean house because of the musical climate, it was summer of 91. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say those ticket sales were terrible, uh, that summer because of the musical climate. And, and, uh, you know, there was just an, uh, another genre where had, had sort of stepped in and, and, uh, became popular and that's fine. No one can control that. You know, that's, there was a lot of kick-ass rock and roll being made and played and touring and, you know, Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and and so many great uh, moments in, in musical history were happening there. So some of it might have been scaled down a little bit, but that's not, that's okay. That's That didn't scare anybody uh, who I have befriended in my career uh, because of the legendary status of all of the headliners on that Operation Rock and Roll tour. If someone was being a crybaby about oh that tour tanked. It's like why do you care? Are you uh, the bean counter or do you work in the production office at the ticket agency? What, yeah. why do you? Why are you gonna just vent about you know ticket sales and how much money is not being spent or being made <clears throat> because of the you know what you're you know bringing up the fact that maybe you know our music is not as popular right now uh, as it is as other places, you know, if you're a, if you're following the trends, that's fine. If you feel like you need to change your wardrobe, go right ahead. But everyone who came to the party they're they're every it's everyone's, it's a sea of kids wearing black with, uh, you know, headbanging and shouting freedom. So, uh, it was a great tour. It was, uh, I was just one of those I'm not worthy moments, you know, like I have video of Lemmy in our dressing room and he's playing a guitar wearing Daisy Dukes and nothing else, <laughs> half, <laughs> half drunk at, you know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon and we're, we're dressed up, getting ready to go on. And, and uh, yeah, I, moments I'll never forget. I remember seeing Lemmy wearing red Speedo and flip-flops on a lounger in front of his tour bus with Wurzel. Uh, ha- drinking Jack and smoking cigarettes uh, in front of their tour bus. <clears throat> and on the marquee, you know, on the front of the tour bus up there, it says, slow death. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And those guys are just chilling. He's in a red Speedo and nothing else. Cop shades, of course. Smoking cigarettes, drinking Jack in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, not a care in the world. Best. Best Best thing I've ever seen.
0: Uh, Jason, I'm going to share a quick little story. I'm up here in Rochester. Uh, You ever been to the House of Guitars in Rochester?
1: No, but um, I have a bunch of their shirts uh, because I know of the legendary status. And if I have been there, I don't remember it. And I don't know why because it seems like I should. I know that the uh procurers the owners the family that runs that place is uh is just as important to the scene as like John Zazula and
0: yeah, yeah. you know three three brothers but uh fun lemmy story it's two i ride my bicycle about 10 miles to the house of guitars to pick up the aerosmith rock and a hard place release nice you know? and i didn't know it at the time um But Motorhead was playing in town that night on another perfect day tour. It was, it was the summer of 82 or 83. It escapes me, but there's Lemmy doing an in-store. And so I get in line. I never really knew who these guys were. It's just, you know, the, the mole scared me. And I walk up to the table. He goes, what's your name? And I said, ah, John, he goes, all right, John, you're going to the show tonight. I'm like, well, I can't because I'm like 12. And uh, so he scribbles his name on they had the poster for another perfect wow. day and he goes, Well, John, look us up when you're of age or get an ID. And um I still have it down in the Vernomatics vault and I became a wow. fan that day. And wow. So um I,
1: I love that. Uh he was uh such a class act and a gentleman. I got to hang out with Lim a bunch of times. And uh on his bus for hours, just listening to music, and it was almost like I got to give him the Rolling Stone interview. He just, just me and him for hours. This is the best. I'll never forget it.
3: Hey, hey Jason, I have to ask you. Uh, you know, you're one of your current bands, Broken Teeth. I mean, you've had a lot, a lot of years with this band. Twenty years, what, seven, eight albums. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, while we're on the Motorhead topic, I mean. You know, I, I sprinkled around, listened to some of the material, a song like Never Dead, where you actually have the line in the song saying, I believe in Motorhead, right? And wow. that's like, this is like all we were saying earlier. You talk about your love for AC/DC, Simple Three Chords. <laughs> broken Teeth is that band. Short, yeah. three and a half, four-minute songs. Fast, quick, in and out, you know? Talk yeah. about Broken Teeth real quick.
1: Um, formed in 99 as kind of a studio project, kind of a lark. Um, Paris Records, a small record label down here in Texas, uh, got us going on that. And it was supposed to just be a studio project, you know, write a record and do it as a favor to pay for some studio time for uh, Paul Lydell, who's been in Dangerous Toys since 94, who we kind of, I, I loosely say, stole from Dirty Looks, And, uh, me and the toys guys are huge, dirty looks fans. So when we needed a guitar player way back when it was like, we just called Paul and, uh, now, and now I am in dirty looks too. So (laughs) it's it's weird, you know? So we, we made that record for Paris and then it, it kind of took off, uh, better than expected. And so we just kept, kept going and ultimately, uh, Paul, uh, left the band in like 2006 or something. And, uh, yeah, we just, we just kept going and we still, we still are, we're we're actually starting to write again. And it's been a while that COVID shit fucked up, slowed down, you know, kept us busy in other things for whatever reason. And other projects were born because of that lockdown shit. And, and but but teeth sort of it just kind of slowed. Her. We, everybody kept everybody from broken teeth was in between things, keeping them from broken teeth, and we're okay with that. Uh, but now we're starting to converge and ride again, which is great. But yeah, never dead. I I saw one of the very last performances of of Motorhead here in Austin, and uh, they they played three songs i'm trying to not become emotional here and uh it was it was hard to see uh because it was obvious there was uh lim was struggling and he stopped in the middle of a song and said sorry i can't do it i'll i'll be back in a minute and he took his bass off he walked out with a cane and they put his bass on him when he came out so crowd was like what you know he comes out a few minutes later at the cane again uh and says uh you know i can't i can't do it i've been feeling terrible and i've got to get better but i promise i'll be back and and uh grown men in tears uh uh strange uh but not strange by way of no one asked for a refund you know what I mean yeah so tribal and the chief uh, is you know you you're you're concerned about the chief because our leader is you know what I mean kind of a thing yeah. you're worried about the the general right yeah. so I went home and wrote the lyrics for never dead. Which uh, talks about the legacy. It's never going to happen, even when he's gone. It's never. It's like Dio. It's, he's all. He's just in the other room watching TV. You know, mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. Right. You can't. You can't stop rock and roll. Thank you, Dee Snider. But the point, never dead. Yeah. You you can't kill rock and roll. Thank you, Ozzy Osbourne. So all of that came to mind when when writing the song Never Dead with Broken Teeth. Yeah, and it's just about Lemmy and uh, and Motörhead and the and the legacy that can't can't die. Even can't kill it.
0: Jason, mm-hmm. there's a uh, an old story, a legend has it that your approach to possibly play with the Abbott Brothers before Dangerous Toys and being fellow Texans, what's your relationship or with the late brothers
1: in the watchtower days you know which was roughly a decade my time with them uh we had heard about this band in the fort worth arlington texas to be exact called pantera and they were kind of this flashy glammy kind of uh cover band that would did a circuit tour uh and and then later I heard about this local band in Austin called uh, Onyx that would do the same circuit, uh, you know, like from from Texas to Tennessee and circle around and, you know, Oklahoma, you know, just do this thing. And uh, Onyx is ba- is Dangerous Toys, but with a different singer. Mm-hmm. So there was... I knew that was popular. I knew people that did it a little bit. And me, in the meantime, here's this underground metal thing going on. And me and all my friends are creating metal bands and trying to play, uh, trying to write our own songs, you know, stealing from our influences. You know, it's not, it's common, right? And we're all kids, teenagers, right? High school or right out of high school, or whatever. <clears throat> this is all going on and uh it was 86 uh becoming 87 and uh pantera had lost terry glaze their singer who they had done like three records with i believe already and uh i had friends who played you know like early versions of what i would call death metal it was a band called rotting corpse i had friends in that band who had grown up like literally known these Abbott brothers since like, you know, 1980, uh, you know, seventies and, you know, went to school with these, grew up with them and, uh, uh, we're in the inner circle, but you know, they were obviously Pantera was doing a different thing than the underground stuff. Didn't know they were writing heavier stuff at the time. Didn't wasn't really on my radar at that point. And because I'm in Watchtower, Billy White had just left the band and, Mm -hmm. We had replaced Billy with Ron Jarzombek, who was a friend of ours, who was in San Antonio Slayer, uh, who is uh, who is formidable guitar player. And there was only one guitar player in, in our heads that could replace Billy White, and that was Ron Jarzombek. And you may know the last name from his brother, Bobby Jarzombek, who currently plays drums in George Strait. Who's played with Halford, Sebastian Bach, currently Fate's Warning and blah blah blah. He's a god on drums. Love the Jarzombic brothers. Anyway, so it's probably it's probably early eighty seven. And the uh their father, Mr. Abbott, I'll call him because I can't think of his name right now, but Mr. Abbott. Uh, who owned a studio and that's where Pantera recorded all their records. And, you know, they, their dad was a writer and a a producer of, I think, country music and big in Nashville or something like that. So he calls me out of nowhere and says, Hey, I'm Mr. Abbott and blah, 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 blah. And you know, the boys, they, they need a singer and we, we want to extend the offer for you to audition, just audition. Right. I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. I, I know of Pantera. I don't know your boys, but you know, the name is on everyone's mouth everywhere I go. That's awesome. Thank you. No, thank you. A week later, Vinnie, Ab- Vinny Abbott calls me, Vinny Paul calls me and same offer. Hey man, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And you are you, kind of like, are you sure? You know, kind of thing. We really would like to hear you, hear what you can do with this stuff. And, dude, wow. It's awesome to talk to you. Thanks. Nope. Nope. Can't, can't do it. Me thinking that they're this like kind of glammy hard rock Def Leppard thing, you know, cause I had heard their records and had no idea that they were doing a heavy thing. Ironically I leave, you know, a year later, I leave Watchtower and, and join this glam fag band.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, and then, and then Cowboys from hell comes out and I'm like, Whoa, fuck yeah. And I'm like, that's the shit, you know, I'm glad they got Philip. you know, because the, the transpire might not have been the same, you know, uh, the attack, you know, it wouldn't have been the same. So obviously, well, you know, they, they did uh power metal before, you know, with Philip, they, the fourth record is power metal and then Cowboys came out. So anyway, funny things. Yeah. So I didn't really know those guys, but I knew of those guys. Mutual respect all the way around was, was thick.
3: Hey, Jason, uh, before we wrap up here, I want to make one yeah. last remark about your other gig, G- uh, Dirty Looks. You know, I always say they were ACDC sounding, whatever you want to call them, but they were they were a very underappreciated band that really had a chance to hit it big and never did, and it's a shame. So it's nice that to see that you're keeping the legacy of the band going because... I can recall a time, 1988, I was an 18-year-old kid, and Kiss was going over to Europe, and they played a couple club club gigs at the Ritz. One of them was, uh, they they broadcasted on WNEW-FM in New York City, and I was able to go to the show, and Dirty Licks opened. Dirty Licks opened, and I always felt so bad for these guys because you have Kiss geeks, in a little club that holds a thousand people and nobody gave that band any respect. And I remember the band was just so hurt and pissed off. And it it just, I I remember that story like it was yesterday. So I hope someday that, you know, there's some gigs out there and uh, to catch you again with with that band, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, they they can, we recorded a live concert uh, in sealants Grove, Pennsylvania last year. And it's available. It's called cool from the speedway. It's available everywhere. Uh it's a concert DVD CD sort of bonus uh disc. It's everywhere. Amazon, Target, where you can get it anywhere. Uh if you want to buy it straight from the band, you go to dirtylooksmusic.com. Uh Or the
0: house of guitars. Yeah, they have they got it
1: too. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think Gene uh Gene Barnett put those in there. It's a great record. It was fun record. Seventeen songs. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of the band. It's an honor to be standing there in Henrik Ostergaard's shoes as best as I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was very underrated uh, creator of good, solid, punchy rock and roll. And uh, he has his own legacy. And uh, I'm just a conduit, you know. And uh, it's it's a blast. There is talk of writing new material. Uh, we've got a few things going that, you know, see, it, it's kind of weird when you stand back and go, wow, new Dirty Looks, but, you know, hey, there's three of the original lineup from Cool from the Wire and Turn of the Screw standing right next to me, so it makes it kind of fucking legit. You uh, guys get out on the road at all? Playing no, just we're, we're doing the cruise. Dirty Looks is on the, cru- the Monsters of Rock cruise next year, and we're really looking forward to that shit because, uh, you know, Junkyard and Rose Tattoo and uh, I think Saxon and Loudness and Rhino Bucket and, you know, all these badass bands are on the cruise uh, next year. And so I think we're going to fit right in. And it's kind of a, there's a lot of people from, you know, international come and do those cruises because it's because of the ilk of of artists that are on the ship. And so I think Dirty Looks is also going to be, Kind of a prime mover on that, it, it, I would I would think just in theory because, you know, dirty looks. What dirty looks? Really, I have cool from the wire in my car. You know, it's like that kind of like, uh, wow, I got to see this. You know, train wreck or not. You know, so, uh, and then you you know you brought up I got uh, a zinger for you. You brought up Cassius King. Mm-hmm. And that's something that kind of happened during the lockdown as well. Right around the time my podcast was birthing, Cassius King was birthing. And that's members of Hades for days. Uh, so, you you know, to bring up Alan Tecchio again, uh, Alan uh, replaced me in Watchtower and I replaced him in Hades. Kind of this weird sort of thing again same same coin weird very weird i don't it's not the same thing and it's 40 years later or some shit but at the same time uh it's it's very interesting to me that uh, the connections are there and and uh, anyway two records in the new record the new Cassius King record is called Dread the Dawn there's some videos out the first video is called Abandoned Paradise it's on nomad eel records they can get it on um uh, i think bandcamp nomad eel bandcamp uh you can pre-order vinyl versions of the first record which is called field trip as well as uh you can get both records digitally anywhere and on cd anywhere uh dread the dawn the new record has only been out for a few weeks a month maybe and uh it's out in Europe as well on MDD records uh, on the Nomad Eel, which is the American version, if you will. There are, uh, there's, uh, we covered uh, Come On and Love Me by Kiss, and we did Wouldn't You Like to Know Me by from the Paul Stanley. Nice. Solo record. And there's a video for Wouldn't You Like to Know Me out on YouTube now. Uh, there's also some videos from the first record as well. Uh, Cleopatra's Needle. There might be another one that's not coming to mind right now. And, uh, Abandoned Paradise is the new video from Dread the Dawn. Uh, the European version of Dread the Dawn has a bonus track as well. And it's Troubleshooter by Judas Priest.
3: Yeah, this, uh, the sound of that band is amazing. And I told Vern again, before we went on the air, I think he needs to play this stuff out on his show as well. Abandoned Paradise. I mean, heavy, heavy, hard, that's got that Sabbath vintage sound, the mm-hmm. doomy, but fast and quick stoner rock. Just awesome. Totally my style of music. And I, and yeah. I, Vern, I, I think you got to play it on your radio show. So, Jason, listen, we could be out here for hours talking to you. And I do think that you're going to be a returning guest to our podcasts, just as fans right. sitting around a campfire talking shit about metal. But one last thing before we let you go, this maybe is the kinship between you and I. I'm going to do the little pinky thing. Because you mentioned there you're a minister. I as well am a a minister through the Universal Church. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can say I've done it, if I can be honest, not necessarily through a religious point of view, but to make a few extra bucks on the side marrying people. So Mm -hmm. tell us about your role in the ministry.
1: Well, I've pretty much retired from the pulpit. Uh, people are have been asking, one, you know, once in a while, not in droves, and I've had to gently let them down. Uh, I've considered uh, a few clients, if you will, I hate that word, but uh, that heard about me through, uh, you know, people I've tied the knot for, in the past who I, who I love and who were a lot of fun, but I just can't seem to bring myself to do it again because I'm, I I feel like my brain is occupied with other things. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I was asked to do it for some friends of mine in the DFW area in like, God, 2020, you know, just so long ago. Uh, no, not 2020, 2000, 2000 like two, 2001, or yeah, yeah, something, 2001, that's what it was. I did it at the Hard Rock Cafe. I I read some uh, quotes from uh, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, uh, you know, and after a while, I just started winging it, and it was so much better to just okay. wing it and just hang out, you know, uh, a bunch of them, most of them, I I would uh, you know kind of close up a, uh, a, a proverb, a proverbial thing I read or found that I wanted to share with the the couple and their people uh, with. Can I get a Slayer?
3: I love it. Can I get a Slayer? Uh,
1: yeah, and and so that would give you the ilk of how serious uh, the the whole. God and Jesus thing is, you know, with the idea of, uh, I mean, the honor is so huge that when a couple really, you know, wants you to stand up there on the stage, if you will, with them, the stage of life and, and be there with them and help them hold hands, you know, that, that is the, not get heavy on you, but that's kind of a big honor. And so I sort of looked at it like that. And I've done some where, you know, grandma was there and it was more proper. And I tried to make the couple happy and they weren't happy. And I said, you got the wrong guy. I warned you, you know, grandma might not like my vernacular and, uh, you know, sorry kind of a thing. And those train wrecks have been very, very few, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, and it's 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 been fun. I had some fun. The most memorable one, not to you know, not take some light away from from all of cuz I've done it about 15 times, I guess. Uh, the, uh, the the I married uh, he's passed on the the singer for Rigor Mortis, Bruce Corbett. I tied the knot with with him and his wife China. And Philip Anselmo, uh, Pantera, of course, uh, was the best man. Awesome. And uh, the wedding theme uh, was played on a flying V through Marshall Stacks behind me uh, on the stage uh, by uh, the guitar player for Rigor Mortis, uh, Mike Skasha, who's also passed on. Uh, the groomsmen were basically members of Guar and rigor mortis and Pantera and, oh my God, you know, just crazy DFW metal gods everywhere. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy, you know? So, and then, and then my band, one of my bands, Evil United was one of the bands that played. So it was like, you may now kiss the bride and then thrash bands come on, you know, (laughs) it's fucking
0: incredible. That's awesome. Uh so yeah. You know what's incredible is the name Pastor McMaster from the Church of Disaster.
1: I have to give uh I have to give Scott from Dangerous Toys the credit for that. And and <laughs> I you know, it's not like uh yeah. my name's not fun to rhyme with. I I realize that. So
0: Well, uh Jason McMaster, you are a true lifer of heavy metal. Like uh Walt said, we could go on all morning, but Remember, Jason will be at the Rockin' Pod March 17th through the 19th, 2023, down in Nashville. Come on down, shoot the shit, um, bring your Dangerous Toys, bring your Watchtower merch, have him sign it, um, buy him a beer, if he drinks, don't even know that. But um, the stories are fabulous, and we appreciate you spending your Sunday morning with us.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, Jason. It was a lot of fun. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Metal for life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy.